You see, a hypocrite, as some of us may know, a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and, and does the other. That's not the way our, our love is supposed to be. No, 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 the hypocrite's that way because there's no consistency, there's no sincerity. Our love for God and for God's people, it's not supposed to be some lip service, some facade, some mask, some gimmick. It's supposed to be real. And real, genuine love is seen in our actions. In fact, true love for God will realize that evil, sin, sin keeps us from having a close relationship with him and with his people. And so when we realize that, we'll, we'll despise evil. We'll be heartbroken by it. We will, as Paul writes, we will hate what is evil and cling to what is good. When Paul uses that word hate there, he's talking about abhorring evil. I mean, you can't stand the thought of it. It's not always how we think about evil, though, is it? I mean, if it was, then, then we wouldn't tolerate it in our lives or make excuses for it or let it hang around. We need to learn to hate evil, believers, and to cling to what is good. Growing up, my mom, she uh, wouldn't let us kids say that we hated something the way that all kids do. You know, I hate this food, and I hate my homework, I hate this chore, I hate my brother, and all that sort of stuff. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't have any of that, because to her, hate was a serious word. So she would tell us all the time, she would say, you save your hate for sin and Satan. She would say, you can hate them, but you don't hate anyone or anything else. As I've grown up, I, I've realized that she had a greater understanding of hate than not just me as a kid, any of us seem to have. I think many of us, we misunderstand the severity of hate the same way that we misunderstand the sincerity of love. True love for God and for others will understand that by clinging to and we'll be able to seek the welfare of one another. That's, that's what true love should look like, believers. See, we need to understand there's a lot that we're going to see in Romans 12. We're going to read the rest of the chapter. There's a lot that we're going to see. But if you don't have love in your heart for God and for his people, then all the commands that we're going to see, they're going to be tough. They're going to be tough to fulfill in our lives. Let's see what Paul says next. Verse 10. Voted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. fervor, serving the Lord. Paul says to be devoted to each other, Christians, in love. Now, there are many words for love in the Greek language. The word that Paul uses here refers to the type of love that would be seen in affection between family members. Uh, it's often referred to as brotherly love. Brotherly Love. You know, I'll be honest that growing up, I didn't always love my brothers or my sister. But you know, if I saw someone being unkind to them, saying something mean to them, that would tear me up. I couldn't stand that. I might not have always gotten along with my siblings, but I, I loved them. Even if I wasn't willing to say it, I loved them. Now, maybe you didn't have that type of love with your family growing up. But believer. We're to be devoted to each other in love. Even, even when we're struggling to get along, we're supposed to love each other. 
Now, how do we do that? How do we love one another? Love seen in our actions, right? Seen in our actions. So how do we do this? Well, one way is that we honor each other. We respect one another. Then, in our zeal for God, we continue serving the Lord, which naturally leads to us serving one another, right? That's what Paul talked about last week. In fact, as Brandon mentioned earlier, Pastor Brandon mentioned that this is, this is our emphasis this month, this new volunteer month, that we would serve one another. This love, this, this mutual affection for each other should exist despite, despite our shortcomings and our failures, and we will fail at times. We should see this love despite the ways that we might hurt each other at times because this love is a defining mark of Christians. I shared the story of Pastor Morris just a few minutes ago, and one of the things Pastor Morris talked about is that when he was a child, he grew up under the harsh teachings of Islam, and then when he first saw Christians, he noticed there was something different about them. He said he noticed that there was, that there was a peace among Christians, but even more than that, that they loved each other. He said there was a real love among those believers. And when he gave his life to Christ, he stepped into the Christian community. He, he experienced that love. And it changed the way that he lives his life now. Paul continues, he says this in verse 12. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Oh, I like that. We are joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Oh, there are a lot of descriptions of Christians that confuse the world, and this is certainly one of them. I mean, after all, believers, how can we be joyful in hope? How can we be joyful in trials? The Bible says we're supposed to consider our trials joy. Well, it's because our joy is rooted in our hope our confident assurance of what awaits us in Christ. And for that reason, we can be patient in affliction. We can trust in God's timing, his purposes, and what we're going through, all the while remaining faithful in prayer. Oh, how I wish more of us were faithful in prayer. Prayer has become something that many Christians, we've largely put aside. I mean, yeah, we, we pray before we eat, if we think about it. Maybe before we go to sleep, if we're not too tired. And if hard times come, we're sure to toss up a quick prayer. That's not the type of prayer Paul's talking about here. In fact, many of us, we aren't patient in affliction. We aren't joyful in hope because we aren't faithful in prayer. There's a story of a man who had a dream, and in his dream, he was walking along, and he saw, uh, he saw a church building in the distance. And on top of the church building, he saw a demon, and the demon was fast asleep. So he kept on walking, and a little bit further along, he saw a, a small house. And all around the house and on top of it were a bunch of demons. They were all awake, moving around. Well, he wondered out loud to himself what this meant, that one of the demons told him. He said, well, you see that church over there, all the people are fast asleep. So it only takes one of us to take care of all those people. But in that house, there's a man and a woman who pray constantly. And there is more power in that house than in that whole church. And I think that that little illustration is a sad picture of a lot of churches today. You see, believers, if we love the Lord, we'll want to go to him in prayer. Not just sometimes, but all the time. 
And, and if we love the church, we'll want to pray for the church, and we'll want to pray with the church. We'll want to pray with one another. Believers, we need to be devoted to prayer. Does that describe us? In fact, such a heart for God and for one another, it will lead to sharing with each other when someone is in need. And one of my great joys here is seeing so many of you do that, sharing with one another who are in need. It will also lead to practicing hospitality as we open our homes to one another. Thinking about this this week, I remember as a kid, my parents, they would, they would open their homes to missionaries, theologians, teachers who would travel through. My mom tells a story that on one occasion, one of those theologians was coming through, and apparently my mom must have had a talking to us kids before he got there because we were all in the living room sitting on the couches and he was talking to my parents and me and my siblings were strangely quiet and so he leaned over and asked my mom did did you drug the kids or give them benadryl she probably didn't do that uh obviously get very clear that we were to be well behaved and i look back at those times and i wish that i'd been old enough to appreciate having those individuals in the house, uh, that I would have asked them questions or actually listened to the stories that they told. I was too young to do those things, but I was old enough to see this example of hospitality and to be blessed by it, to see that Christians should open their homes, share their blessings, and especially be devoted to the family of Christ. That was a blessing for me as a child. By the way, if you're here and you want to practice hospitality, we've got a missionary couple coming here later this month. We'd love to open a home to them. You can come and talk to me about that later if you're interested. But Paul continues in verse 15. He says this. He says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If we love each other, we should rejoice and mourn with each other. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes, sometimes the rejoicing is actually harder than the mourning. For some reason, some of us, we see the triumphs and the blessings in someone else's life, and we see those things with eyes of jealousy, instead of breaking out in praise that God would shower his blessings down on them. To be honest with you, that I know the Lord's been working on my own heart with that one. But then there are times of mourning. When our family in Christ is going through difficulty or loss, they've got great burdens. And believers, instead of avoiding the ones who are going through these things, we need to seek out our hurting family members in Christ. And when we do, my encouragement to you, church, when we seek them out, let's remember that sometimes, sometimes instead of singing songs to a heavy heart, Sometimes we just need to mourn with them. And if we love each other, we'll learn to rejoice and mourn with one another. Because we'll be sincerely looking out for each other. And when we do this, don't you, don't you think it'll be easier to, to live in harmony? To live in unity? To not be living in pride and conceit? Love leads to that humility, the same humility that associates with people of low position. In other words, believers, we shouldn't be respecters of persons. The book of James gives us a great explanation of this one. James says that if a, if a rich person comes into your church, he's all dressed in his fancy clothes, 
And then a poor person comes in, dirty and ragged. And he said, if you look at that rich person and you, oh, you give them the best seat right near the AC vent at the back of the church, because in the Baptist church, the best seat's in the back of the church. And then you talk to that poor man, you tell him to you sit off over there by yourself. Well, James says, if you do that, you become judges with evil motives. Homeless person, dirty, ragged, spent Saturday night sleeping on our campus here at the church. And I remember how that Sunday morning, just a bunch of our church members just surrounded him and invited him into the building. They ran and got him coffee. They talked to him. They asked him to stay for the service. They just loved, they loved on him. And I praise God that I've seen evidence of that and not partiality towards the rich here. Church, remember, part of our vision as a church is that we would become a church of all people. And what that means is that we want to be a church that reflects our community. Our community includes people who are broken, people who are poor, people who are rejected by others, and this needs to be a place where they can come and experience the love of Jesus Christ. And you see, as we learn to love those inside the body of Christ, well, then we're going to learn to love those outside the body of Christ. And that includes our enemies. Paul said earlier, said, bless those who persecute you. Bless, don't curse. Just a glimpse into what he now says. Look at verse 17. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, how many of us, though, if we're honest, would admit this stuff, this, this is hard. This is hard stuff. Because we desire, we desire justice, don't we? We do. If somebody wrongs us or wrongs others, we want to see those things made right. And it's true that there is and should be justice under the law. Paul's not talking against any of that. Paul is talking about when we take justice into our own hands, which is something that we are prone to do, is it not? When someone wrongs us, we aren't supposed to get back at them. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us. It goes against our nature. I'd encourage you to consider this, believers. Christians, aren't we, aren't we eternally grateful for the long-suffering of God? His extreme patience with our wickedness. Aren't we grateful for that? I mean, he patiently waited for us to repent and receive his forgiveness. Aren't we grateful? So. Shouldn't we show such long-suffering towards those who wrong us? Don't repay evil for evil, believe. Because it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Or what's true, or what's pleasing to God, but when it is in your hands to do what's right, do what's right. You see, that person is responsible for God just as you are. So don't take revenge on anyone. 
In fact, this might be the hardest thing of all. It's hard not to get back at those who hurt Jesus Christ. We're supposed to forgive them. Even the ones who reject that forgiveness and don't want it, we're supposed to forgive them. We're supposed to let go of our right to revenge. We're supposed to leave justice in the hands of our holy God. And then, well, then we continue treating them with love. I know that's hard, but that's what we've been called to. Let me give you a really incredible example of that. In 2014, when ISIS was wreaking havoc through Iraq, a lot of families were forced to flee from their homes. That included uh, one couple, a husband and wife, and their two young daughters. They, uh, this family, they're all believers, followers of Jesus Christ. They had to flee their home. They were living in a, a refugee camp. And when they were there, a TV crew came along. They're doing some stories about what was going on. And they happened to interview this couple's 11-year-old daughter named Miriam. And in the course of the interview, they asked her how she felt toward ISIS. Why don't you think for a minute, what would you have said? She lost everything. What would you have said? Well, she looked at the man interviewing her and said, you know, she, she didn't want to hurt them, certainly didn't want to kill them. She said she prays for them. She said she asked that God would forgive them. She doesn't know why they were doing what they were doing, but she asked God would forgive them. I mean, this girl was driven out of her home. She lost her friends, her school, her whole way of life. They were living in a refugee camp, and she's just there talking about forgiving her enemies. This is somebody who had a lot to complain about, but instead... Instead, throughout this whole interview, and you can still go see this online, throughout this whole interview, she's talking about God's provision, how loving God is towards her and her family. And at the end of the interview, she sings a song of praise to God. Miriam, she knows what it is to fulfill Jesus' command in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, that we would love and pray for our enemies. Pastor Morris, he knows what it is to feed and provide for your enemy. And church, we all need to know that if we do not overcome evil with good, then evil will overcome us. If our hearts are filled with hatred for people, people Jesus died for, well, then not only will we fail to love them, but that hate's going to spill over into our actions towards others. And church, that's not what we were called to. Believers, here's the thing. Romans 12 has a whole lot for us. Even just the little bit that we read this morning, there are a lot of truths in this section. I'll be honest with you, I think it can be kind of easy for us to get lost in all these commands and all these truths, but we don't need to be. Now, it comes down to this. We are to be defined by love. That's how we're going to fulfill this Christian code of conduct that we read about. We're to love God first and foremost. When we do that, we're going to learn to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Well, when that's the case, we're going to have an easier time loving one another, practicing hospitality, helping each other, rejoicing and mourning with one another, serving one another. When as we do that, our love is going to pour outside these walls to those in the community around us, the hurt, the broken, the rejected, the lost. And then our love is going to spill out towards our enemies as well. I'm not saying any of this is easy stuff, but this is what we've been commanded to do. Let me give you a good summary of Christian love found in Scripture. Some of you will have heard these words before. They're in 1 Corinthians 13. But if you have, I want you to really listen to these verses in light of what we've read today. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, it says this. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. Is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Heard wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's what we've been called to, church. And here's the truth this morning, church, for us to walk away with believers. When we live in godly love, the world will know that we are God's people. When we live in godly love, the world will know that we are God's people. So believers, we need to evaluate this morning, what areas in our lives are we struggling to love our family in Christ? I mean, are we rejoicing with one another? Are we seeking out those who are hurting, encouraging them, mourning with them? Are, are we helping each other in times of need? Are we serving one another? We need to evaluate if we are loving those outside the walls of this church. Are we caring for them? You know, one of the greatest ways we can care for those outside the church is to share the gospel with them. And what about our enemies? Are we praying for them? Do we care for them? Do we go out of our way to love on them? Do we do what is right in God's sight towards our enemies? Believers, I'm going to encourage you during this final song that we are going to sing, evaluate your heart. Maybe you already know areas in your life where you're not showing the love you've been called to show. Confess that to the Lord. Ask Him to strengthen you in these things. And if you're here and Jesus Christ isn't your Savior, you've never given your life to Him, you don't know for sure that when this life is over, you're going to be in heaven with the Lord. If, if that's where you're at, friend, then look, I, I don't need you to leave here understanding the love that Christians have for you. I need you to leave here understanding the love that Jesus Christ has for you. You see, the Bible tells us as Christians that we love because He first loved us. You see, if Jesus isn't your Savior, I need you to understand that Jesus, he loves you. He loves you. Despite all the bad things that you've done, all the ways that you've disobeyed him, that you haven't believed in him, haven't followed him, despite all those things, Jesus, he loves you. And I know that that's fact. Because Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died for you. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for all those bad things we've done. Jesus did that so that we could be forgiven of our sins, we could be made right in his sight, that we could receive salvation from the penalty for our sin. The penalty is hell. See, Jesus, Jesus loves you. He loved you long before you were ever on this earth. And friend, despite the things that you've done, the places you've been, what you're going through right now in your life, Jesus, Jesus wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to save you from the penalty of hell. He wants to bring you into his family. He wants you to be with him for all eternity. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I understand that Christian love, it's hard to understand until you've experienced Christ's love. And friend, if Jesus isn't your Savior, please understand that that can change before you leave here this morning. And if you have questions or that's so confusing, come and talk to me during this final song. Come and find me after the service. Don't don't leave here without understanding the love that Jesus has for you. Well, let's pray together. Friend, if that's where you're at, if, if you know that Jesus isn't your Savior, you can't say with
Friend, if that's where you're at and you're ready to change that, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, understand that you can do that right now. And you can admit to him that you know that you're a sinner. But that you know he died on the cross for your sins. That you believe he didn't stay in the grave, but that he rose from the dead. Friend, ask him for that forgiveness that he promises. And give him your life. And I promise you on the authority of God's word, he will forgive you. He'll save you. He'll be your savior forever. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have stepped into your loving arms, who have experienced your great love towards us, teach us what it means to love one another as family in Christ. We know that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to hurt each other sometimes, and when we do, help us be quick to seek forgiveness and to give forgiveness. Help us be a church that lives in harmony with one another by rejoicing and mourning with each other, carrying each other's burdens by serving one another, and then teach us how to love those outside this place. Teach us to love even our enemies, the ones who can't stand us, that maybe we have a hard time being with. Teach us to love them. And I pray that that through these things, we would be a great testimony to people around us. That we would be a body of believers like the one that Pastor Morris saw when he was a child. When he saw peace and love among them. Let that be true at First Baptist Church of Oxford. So Father, this morning, show us. Show us those areas in our lives where we're not loving the way that we're supposed to. We're not demonstrating Christian love. We're not bringing you glory and honor. And help us to confess those things to you and start living the way you want us to. And Father, if there is anyone here who has not stepped into the love of Jesus Christ, who has not received that salvation and forgiveness, I pray that they wouldn't leave this place without making that decision or at least coming and talking to somebody with the questions they have. Fathers, we praise you with another song. We pray, again, that you'd be honored here. Father, we love you, but you proved when you sent your son that you love